Section 1 of Tiger by the Tail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. Tiger by the Tail by Paul William Anderson. Section 1 The Haughty Horned Aliens from the planet Skotha had very well organized intentions of conquering the Terran Empire, and Captain Dominic Flandry, Terra's ace saboteur, suddenly found himself in a strategic position to louse up the works. How? Well, Achilles had a heel, and what else could you call a Scothani? Captain Flandry opened his eyes and saw a metal ceiling. Simultaneously, he grew aware of the thrum and quiver, which meant he was aboard a spaceship running on ultra-drive. He sat up with a violence that sent the dregs of alcohol swirling through his head. He'd gone to sleep in a room somewhere in the stews of Catarayanus, with no prospect or intention of leaving the city for an indefinite time, let alone the planet. Now the chilling realization came that he was not aboard a human ship. Humanoid, yes, from the size and design of things, but no vessel ever built within the borders of the Empire and no foreign make that he knew of. Even from looking at this one small cabin, he could tell. There were bunks, into one of which he had fitted pretty well, but the sheets and blankets weren't of plastic weave. They seemed, he looked more closely, the sheets seemed to be of some vegetable fiber, the blankets of long, bluish-gray hair. There were a couple of chairs and a table in the middle of the room, wooden, and they must have seen better days, for they were elaborately hand-carved and in an intricate, interwoven design new to Flandry. And planetary art forms were a hobby of his. The way and manner in which the metal plating had been laid was another indication, and he sat down again, buried his whirling head in his hands, and tried to think. There was a thumping in his head, and a vile taste in his mouth, which liquor didn't ordinarily leave, at least not the stuff he'd been drinking. And now that he remembered, he'd gotten sleepy much earlier than one would have expected when a girl was so good-looking. Drugged? Oh, no, tell me I'm not as stupid as a stereo film hero, anything but that. But who'd have thought it? Who'd have looked for it? Certainly the people and beans, on whom he'd been trying to get a lead, would never try anything like that. Besides, none of them had been around, he was sure of it. He'd simply been out building part of the elaborate structure of Demimond acquaintances, and information which would eventually, by exceedingly indirect routes, lead him to those he was seeking. He'd simply been out having a good time, <laughs> quite a good time, in fact, and, and now someone from outside the Empire had him? And now what? He got up a little unsteadily and looked around for his clothes. No sign of them, and he'd paid 300 credits for that outfit, too. He stamped savagely over to the door, 
it didn't have a photo cell attachment. He jerked it open and found himself looking down the muzzle of a blaster. It was of different design from any he knew, but it was quite unmistakable. Captain Flandry sighed, relaxed his taut muscles, and looked more closely at the guard who held it. He was humanoid to a high degree, perhaps somewhat stockier than terrestrial average, and come to think of it, the artificial gravity was a little higher than 1G, and with very white skin, long tawny hair and beard, and oblique violet eyes. His ears were pointed, and two small horns grew above his heavy eyebrow ridges. But otherwise he was manlike enough. With civilized clothes and a hooded cloak, he could easily pass himself off for human. Not in the get-up he wore, of course, which consisted of a kilt and tunic, shining beryllium copper cuirass and helmet, buskins over bare legs, and a murderous-looking dirk, as well as a couple of scalps hanging at his belt. He gestured the prisoner back and blew a long, hollow blast on a horn slung it aside. The wild echoes chased each other down the long corridor, hooting and howling with a primitive clamor that tingled faintly along Captain Flandry's spine. He thought slowly while he waited. No intercom, apparently not even speaking tubes, laid the whole length of the ship, and household articles of wood and animal and vegetable fibers and that archaic costume there, they were barbarians all right, but no tribe that he knew about. That wasn't too surprising, since the terrestrial empire and a half dozen other civilized states in the known galaxy ruled over several thousand of intelligent races and had some contact with nobody knew how many thousands more. Many of the others were, of course, still planet-bound, but quite a few tribes along the imperial borders had mastered a lot of human technology without changing their fundamental outlook on things, which is what comes of hiring barbarian mercenaries. The peripheral tribes were still raiders, menaces to the border planets, and merely nuisances to the empire as a whole. Periodically, they were bought off, or played off against each other, or the Empire might even send a punitive expedition out. But if one day a strong barbarian race, under a strong leader, should form a reliable coalition, then Vivictus. A party of Flandry's captors, apparently officers, guardsmen, and a few slaves, came down the corridor. Their leader was tall and powerfully built, with a cold arrogance in his pale blue eyes that did not hide a calculating intelligence. There was a golden coronet about his head, and the robes that swirled around his big body were rainbow gorgeous. Flandry recognized some items as having been manufactured within the empire, eluded probably. They came to a halt before him, and the leader looked him up and down with a deliberately insulting gaze. To be thus surveyed in the nude could have been badly disconcerting, but Flandry was immune to embarrassment, and his answering stare was bland. 
the leader spoke at last in strongly accented but fluent Anglic. You may as well accept the fact that you are a prisoner, Captain Flandry. They'd have gone through his pockets, of course, he asked levelly, just to satisfy my own curiosity. Was that girl in your pay? Of course. I assure you that the Scathani are not the brainless barbarians of popular terrestrial superstition, though, a bleak smile, it is useful to be thought so. The Scathani? I don't believe I've had the pleasure. You've probably not heard of us, though we have had some contact with the Empire. We have found it convenient to remain in obscurity, as far as Terra is concerned, until the time is ripe. But what do you think caused the Alari to invade you fifteen years ago? Flandry thought back. He had been a boy then, but he had, of course, avidly followed the news accounts of the terrible fleets that swept in over the marches and attacked Vega itself. Only the hardest fighting at the Battle of Merzan had broken the Alari. Yet it turned out that they'd been fleeing still another tribe, a wild and mighty race, who had invaded their own system with fire and ruin. It was a common enough occurrence in the turbulent barbarian stars. This one incident had come to the Empire's notice only because the refugees had tried to conquer it in turn. A political upheaval within the terrestrial domain had prevented closer investigation before the matter had been all but forgotten. So you were driving the Alari before you? asked Flandry, with as close an approximation to the right note of polite interest as he could manage in his present condition. Aye, and others. The Scothani have quite a little empire now out there in the wilderness of the galaxy. But since we were never originally contacted by terrestrials, we have, as I say, remained little known to them. So the Scothani had learned their technology from some other race, probably other barbarians. It was a familiar pattern. Flandry could trace it out in his mind. Spaceships landed on the primitive world. The initial awe of the natives gave way to the realization that the Skymen weren't so very different after all. They could be killed like anyone else. Traders, students, laborers, mercenary warriors visited the more advanced worlds, brought back knowledge of their science and technology. Factories were built, machines produced, and some tribal king used the new power to impose his rule on all his planet. And then, to unite his restless subjects, he had to turn their faces outward, promise plunder and glory if they followed him out to the stars. Only the Scothani had carried it farther than most, and lying as far from the imperial border as they did, they could build up a terrible power without the complacent, politics-ridden empire being more than dimly aware of the fact until the day when vi victus end of section 1 recording by paul harvey